0: The following audio is from LifeHouse Church. We hope you are blessed by this message and encourage you to connect with us on social media or lifehousechurch.org. Have have you ever just made a bad decision? Maybe it's one of those decisions you didn't realize it it was a bad decision until like later that night or maybe the next morning. Or maybe like you look back on that situation and you're like, yeah, that didn't work out the way we thought it would. Um, Laura and I, when we were, I mean, really newly married, we didn't realize how many, how many businesses and salespeople are just trying to scam you. And we made a purchase that, we overpaid for something because they told, promised us that the deal was going to work out. And, you know, if, when you look back on life, you're like, yeah, we, I would know better now. You know, cause it was just a bad decision and we didn't know we were being played. And, or have you, ever ta- have you ever just used a bad method to make a decision? And again, you didn't know it was a bad method until you look back and you're like, yeah, that's not how you make those kind of decisions. Like, I, just a couple of things that quickly come to my mind, you know, like, if you're trying to figure out how to parent your kids, probably going like, hey, Alexa, or hey, Google, is not necessarily gonna give you the best advice, because I actually really do think that there's somebody like that on the other side of Google. <laughs> like, I, I think there's just some you know, 19-year-old kid like, <laughs> like spitting out answers, and that's what, that's what generates all the hyperlinks, right? And, and so like, or if you, here's another method that I think a lot of us use, um, you just post it. Like you use your social media platform to find solutions to life's deepest problems, and then you wonder why things are going from bad to worse. Because anybody that has the time to read your problems and help you solve them you, you connecting the dots? Like maybe if they had their own life in order, they wouldn't be spending all their time trying to help you figure out how to solve your life problems by spending all their time on social media. I'm just saying. Or uh, I don't know, like some of you, what do you just you like flip a coin or, um, you know, there's a lot of like, oh, for those of you that are like, you're Christian, maybe you grew up in an environment where people did like the whole like Bible roulette thing. <laughs> You, you ever heard of this? Like, you don't know what to do. And so you're like, oh, man. All right, God. It's kind of like, hey, God. Hey, Google. Hey, God. So what you do is you have your Bible and you just kind of like open it up and you just go, um, and you know, and it's like you find the passage where like, it says, and Judas went and threw himself on the rocks. You're like, well, that can't be God. And so you turn it, and you open it somewhere else, and it's like, Go and do that likewise. You're like, oh no. You're like, these are bad methods to prop- discover answers to life's greatest challenges. And, uh, and so here's what happens, right? We, we tend to find ourselves in one of two camps. Most of us land in one of these two areas. We, we treat some of the most challenging and difficult situations in life casually, and we take really relaxed approaches to finding counsel even though the decision's really important. And so we do things like play Bible Roulette or Hey Google or Hey Alexa. Or we fall into the camp of paralysis through analysis. You might be married to somebody who fits in this category or maybe they're in your family, like meaning they have to overanalyze everything. They need every detail, they need every single possibility and they're weighing all the outcomes and possibilities and you're literally trying to decide which brand of peanut butter to use. And you're like, this, this should not be this hard. And it, and it falls in the camp of paralysis through analysis. We're paralyzed because we're overanalyzing. And so as a result, it's a simpler problem. And yet you can't make a decision because you're stuck and you're just scared to make another bad decision. And usually we, we fall into the camp of paralysis to analysis because we've made bad decisions in the past and it didn't work out well. And so then we, we, don't, have, we don't trust ourselves in decision-making. And so we become dependent on weighing the pros and cons. And again, we get stuck. And so what do you do? I mean, wouldn't it be nice? I, I was just thinking about sharing this, and I was thinking, man, how nice it would be if like life came with like a gigantic manual. I mean, like probably like a manual like that, but you know, like a really big manual was like, you know, how do you potty train a child at five years old? Like they haven't learned yet. So what do you do, right? Like, well, turn to page 268. <laughs> there it is. You know, or like, I man, I, you know, I'm scared that you know my teenage daughter's gonna run off and get herself pregnant. What do I do? And like, page 522. There it is. There's the answer. You know, um, or what car should I buy? What house should I get? Where should I go to college? Should I date him? Should I beat the boy up who's dating my daughter? <laughs> You know, there it is. Um, and, and as a result, now because I have this manual, I have all the answers. And you, and you know, like life doesn't work like that. And any of you, that like, you're young and it doesn't work like that. Just hate to break it to you. Life feels much more nuanced and complex. And so where do we turn? So in ancient Israel, there was this brilliant king who spent a portion of his life compiling all of the most well-known, well-respected proverbs. Uh, And then he wrote a whole bunch of them himself. His name was King Solomon. He was the son of David, the most well-known and well-respected king of Israel. His son Solomon, who inherited the throne from him, uh, who built the temple uh, of God in Jerusalem, Solomon writes out what becomes known as the book of Proverbs. It's 31 chapters, a compilation of all the different profound and well-respected Proverbs of ancient Israel, of of the ancient Hebrew people. Interestingly, so this is just a little parenthetical thought, because in ancient times there was a lot of oral history and nations would conquer nations and there was an overlap in different nations' history, different scholars have questioned or are unsure of whether um, what Solomon wrote Or the oral history of ancient Israel was borrowed by other nations, or other nations gave them their Proverbs. But because they see, if you read the book of Proverbs, actually some of those Proverbs also show up in other ancient writings. In the ancient writings of Egypt, Mesopotamia, even Assyria, which would have been at some point a very... uh, A a tremendous enemy to the nation of Israel. And here's why I'm saying that. Because you could easily take the book of Proverbs in the Bible and go, oh, that's really cute. It's a lot like other Proverbs. Uh, Cute ideas, pithy little statements. And you know, you and I, we have access to that stuff all over the place, right? Like, I mean, you go out to eat and you get a little fortune cookie. And I don't know if you're like my family, they like, they love breaking those things open and reading them. And uh, they kind of, I don't know why. There's something wrong with me. I hate cheap advice. And so I just like refuse to read mine ever. I I will not read a fortune cookie. I I think I should write them. I think I would have fun writing them. Like mine would be really like duck, watch out. You know, like beware of falling piano. I think it'd be really funny to have people walking around like, (laughs) this is why, okay. So, right, right, like, but, you know, people can equate the book of Proverbs in the Bible to something like silly little statements or a fortune cookie, or maybe you subscribe to like a daily inspirational quote or a daily inspirational proverb, and you get inspiration from, you know, this like ancient Chinese proverb, ancient Indian proverb, ancient Native American proverb, and you just have all these different sources, and you read it, and you're like, oh, that's cute, or, oh, that's a good thought, And, and then people approach the book of Proverbs that way, but that's not how Proverbs was written. Proverbs is written and included in the Bible because Solomon gets inspired by God himself. The way, the way you could suggest this idea of inspiration is that even though it's his thoughts and even though he's writing it, it's as if God is breathing the very thoughts into his mind. And even if he chooses a proverb from another nation, God inspires that proverb. God says, this isn't just something that somebody else wrote. This is what I'm writing. And so now with that in mind, we jump into the book of Proverbs. This is how we're going to open this up. Let me just read to you the way the entire book opens. It's 31 chapters. It's, uh, It's about halfway through the Bible. So if you were literally playing... Bible roulette, you just take your Bible and cut it in half, like open it in half, and that's going to land you toward the end of the book of Psalms or into the book of Proverbs. So here it is, this is how it starts. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, and here's why he's writing it. For gaining wisdom and instruction, for understanding words of insight, for receiving instruction in prudent behavior, doing what is right and just and fair— For giving prudence to those who are simple, knowledge and discretion to the young, let the wise listen and add to their learning. And then he he concludes his opening statement with this. And let the discerning get guidance for understanding proverbs and parables, the sayings and riddles of the wise. And so there's this really interesting thought as he opens the book. He says, I'm writing this entire thing so that those that want it Can actually know how to live best. Those that are hungry will actually gain meaningful understanding and know how to live the right way. And he really, really focuses on this concept. He goes like this What I'm trying to give you is godly wisdom. So that you know how to make the best decisions, how to make right decisions, and how to live your life in such a way that you're not just wondering whether you're making a good decision or wandering through life. And the whole, if you were to take the entire book of Proverbs and narrow it down into one simple idea, this is what it would mean. Very simply, the whole goal is for you and I to live skillfully. In fact, can I encourage you just to write that down? Your goal in reading Proverbs is to discover how to live skillfully. But we don't live skillfully, do we? I don't know if you're you're like me and there's a lot of areas of your life where you wrestle with whether you're making right decisions. I mean, to be honest, as a parent, there are a lot of times when Laura and I struggle and we say, are we doing the best? Are we doing this right? And I've struggled with, man, my kids are probably going to all grow up and need therapy. Um, And and boy, I want to live skillfully, but I struggle because I don't think most of us do. And what's cool is um, Solomon helps us out. He actually jumps in right away and says, okay, this is my goal for you, but here's why most of you will, will live this way. And so I thought, let's just keep going with his, uh, his explanation because we're going to struggle. He goes, okay, so here's the problem. My son, so he goes, I'm, I'm trying to teach my sons. I want you to get this right. I want you to gain understanding. I want you to live skillfully. But here's what's going to go wrong. My son, if sinful men, people who want to do the wrong thing, have wrong desires and make wrong decisions entice you, do not give in to them. You know what the problem is? A lot of us go along with people who are going in wrong directions. And we think that what they're doing is good and so we do it, but then it wrecks our life. And he goes, that's, that's gonna be one of the problems you're gonna face. And then another problem he said we're gonna face is this. How long will you who are simple love your simple ways? This idea of simple is like we don't think deeply. We, we, we provide cheap answers to costly decisions. That's what he means by simple. We take simple approaches to things that require nuanced understanding. He goes, so how long are you going to keep offering cheap answers to costly decisions? How long will mockers delight in mockery and fools hate knowledge? And so there's this theme throughout the book of Proverbs that he contrasts people who live foolishly and people who live wisely. And a foolish person is someone who thinks that what they're doing feels—because it feels good, it is good. Alright, follow me. A fool is someone who, because it feels good, it must be good. There's three characteristics of someone who is foolish. They are unruly. So think about unruly like someone who is a reckless, aggressive driver. They don't follow the instructions, they don't obey the laws of the road, they they don't keep their car within the boundaries. They, they, they pass in the margins. They, they run through stop signs. They, they, don't, they don't even care that there's a guardrail there, right? So a foolish person is someone who does not listen to instruction and does not keep their life within healthy guardrails. They ignore the guardrails, and they run themselves off of cliffs that the guardrails were there to protect them from. They are angry And um, aggressive. And then another character, not only are they unruly, they're unreliable. A a foolish person is someone who's unreliable. They're they're not trustworthy. They're not dependable. They're not a person of their word. A, A foolish person is also unteachable. They don't learn from their own mistakes, nor do they learn from others. They don't listen to sound counsel, and they do not submit to authority. And here's what most of us will do when we hear that list. I know somebody like that. (laughs) You're watching this online, you're at one of our campuses, you're joining us live and your first instinct is, yep, that sounds just like, (laughs) but it's not written for you to point out your friend or your classmate or your colleague or your boss. The Bible is always a mirror for us to examine ourselves, not examine others. And so the first thing I have to do is look at my life and say, in what way am I living foolishly? In what way am I driven? Because it feels good, it must be good, therefore I do. In what way am I living unruly, unreliably, and unteachably? And the author, Proverbs, King Solomon, he's talking about sin, and the challenge is that every one of us have an instinct to ignore the instructions and disregard guardrails, and we want to live our life driven by our own decisions and our own desires. This is what biblical authors, Jesus, refer to as sin. And the problem is it's a spiritual crisis. It's not a mental issue. It's not a medical issue. It's not an emotional challenge. It is a deeper metaphysical crisis, a spiritual crisis where there is an instinct at the deepest level of who we are to ignore God ignore God's instruction, to ignore what is best for our life and then drive our life in wrong directions, tricking ourselves because we believe that because it feels good, it is good. And then we discover that that drive that leads to decisions that create behavior seems to lead to our ruin. It doesn't produce what's best. We settle for something less. Sin doesn't just cause us to set up for what's less. It leads to our destruction, our ruin, and eternal judgment. That's the end consequence of sin. But God was unwilling to leave us driven by sin toward a life of destruction headed toward eternal judgment. And so God intervened. And I could just go, and God intervened by giving us the book of Proverbs to give us really great ideas. But that's not actually what God did. He did give us the book of Proverbs, but if you jump ahead, so the, the, the book of Proverbs is written um, hundreds and hundreds of years before. time of Jesus, about, you know, like 900 years before. And so what we do is we jump ahead past the time of Jesus to the early church, where actually Jesus' brother James, he's writing a letter to the church, and he says this, if any of you lacks wisdom, the idea of wisdom is knowledge applied. If any of you doesn't know what to do in difficult circumstances, if you don't know how to make a God-led decision in an impossible situation, if you lack wisdom, you should ask God. <laughs> is that awesome? If you don't know what to do, just ask God. Who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. So he goes, here's his answer. He goes, hey, if any of you doesn't know what to do in a difficult situation or making a difficult decision, just ask God, and God, who does not mock you, who does not find fault, will give generously his spirit of wisdom, and he will guide you. So how does God do that? Well, here is the deal. God doesn't find fault, right? Where it says this, right? If anyone lacks wisdom, he gives it without finding fault. How does he not find fault when we have a pattern of making wrong decisions? How does God not find fault in us when we have over and over and over again done things to hurt us and been driven by sin toward our own destruction? Well, here's what God did. Rather than finding fault, he took our fault and he paid the price for it. God became one of us. Jesus Christ came to earth. He took the collective death sentence that we face. He took our sin, our shame, our guilt, our fault on himself. So when Jesus died, he died once for all. His death, the payment for the judgment we deserve, including our eternal judgment. So when Jesus died, he died once for all. So anyone who believes in him could be forgiven of their sin, but he not only died, he rose again. And this is so vital because in the power of Jesus' resurrection, he conquers the grip and the control of sin in our lives. He sets us free from the fear of death and he liberates us from the power of eternal judgment so that when Jesus rose from the dead, when we believe in Jesus, his spirit enters into our spirit. Now this is vital to the rest of this entire series. And as I will wrap up this sermon, because God's spirit is in our spirit. Anytime we need wisdom, we ask God for wisdom and the spirit of God in us will give it to us generously generously. The Spirit of God in us will guide us in wisdom. He leads us in how to live. Now, this is, this is essential. Don't miss this. This is what this is going to require. That means every one of us are ha- have to be willing to relearn everything we know about life. We've grown up foolishly believing that the way we've interpreted life was right. But because we were not interpreting our childhood or how our parents parented us, we were not interpreting our middle school years through the lens of God's spirit. We were interpreting them through our own desires, our own decisions, our own sinful nature. We've created a pattern of thinking that is heading us in the wrong direction. So we have to be willing to be re-schooled by God's Spirit to relearn everything we thought we knew from our life experience, from our childhood experience, from our past, from our college education, from whatever education you've you've got, right? Everything you've learned, once you believe in Jesus by faith, you have to submit that to God's Spirit and say, God, teach me how to properly interpret what I thought I knew about life and re-school me in the right way of living. Living. Wow, that requires a tremendous amount of humility to say, God, I realize that my instincts and my experience are not best because they were were interpreted through the lens of sin. But now because your spirit is in me, I'm gonna go back through my life and I'm gonna evaluate every lesson I thought I learned through the lens of your spirit, asking you for wisdom. So I'm gonna give you two pieces that hopefully as we launch into this series, these two pieces are application points on how you begin to live skillfully. First is this, and, and so I, I, when I read the opening of the book of Proverbs, I skipped over this verse to get to the, the problem. Here is the solution before Solomon gives you the problem. Proverbs 1 verse 7, and this is going to show up multiple times through the book of Proverbs. I'm just going to pull out one verse. He goes, the solution to gaining wisdom and understanding is this, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. But fools despise wisdom and instruction. So he goes, our instinct, our foolish instinct is to ignore God and do what we want. But the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. And so the key here is this. He talks about this idea of the fear of the Lord. So what does that mean? Well, I'm going to give you the principle and then I'm going to unpack it for you. The principle would be this. Living skillfully means applying God ideas, not just good ideas. If you could take a moment, write that down. Living skillfully, meaning living wisely, following the ways of God, means applying God ideas, not just good ideas. Here's what we do. If you've posted something on social media and you're asking people for advice, here's what you and I do. We weigh the different suggestions based on our experience. That's a good idea. Hey Google, that's a bad idea. Um, That's a good idea, but this one's even better. And we become the experts on weighing whether things are good or bad, good or best. But the idea of Proverbs is this. It's not based on what is good or bad and good or best, but what is good versus what is God. And the book of Proverbs, because it is, and and the entire Bible, because it is inspired by God, who is the author of life, the creator of your life, who is aware of every detail and every decision of our life, then God is saying, I know what's best for your life. If you listen to me and you ask me, I'm not just going to give you good ideas. I'm going to give you a God idea, which means it's not a life hack. It's life-giving. Too often, we're looking for just little cheap, simple life hacks to really complex problems. And the challenge is that's how the author opens the book. He goes, how long will simple people follow their simple ways? Don't lean into life hacks, find what is life giving and God's word is God's way. God, the creator of life, the author of life, the God who knows every detail of your life and knows what's the best decision of your life because he sees the beginning and the end. He is the author of all wisdom is saying, I don't just want to give you a good idea. I want you to have a God idea. And so here is our challenge. That begins with what the author says is the fear of the Lord. And so what is the fear of the Lord? Well, the the word itself actually is a little bit more complex and it means something a little bit more like awe, to be in awe of something. Having had the privilege of going to the Grand Canyon at one point in my life, I can remember, you know, you approach it like this. If you're like me, whoa, oh, that's awesome. And I happen to have one of our kids on my back who is six months old and we hiked the, um, the, one of the trails down. And uh, the whole time I'm like horrified excited and horrified simultaneously. That's awe. Awe is fear and fascination. That's, the, that's the, what the fear of the Lord means. Awe of God is the fear and fascination of God. Okay. Fear is a necessary part of life. Like it's appropriate. If you're wise, you have fear of heights. You should be scared of falling off of high things. You, uh, you should have a, a, right? There's healthy fears. Fear of fire. Right, a foolish person lacks an appropriate fear of heights. They're like, <laughs> right, like, uh, never mind. I was going to reference a message earlier uh, last week, but um, it won't make any sense if you didn't see it. So, right, like, but but a, a foolish person might be careless about the way they approach heights. Right, they might be careless about the way they handle fire. They're, they might be careless about authority because they're foolish. So we approach God the way we would approach heights and fire. In fact, another author in the New Testament of the Bible is writing to one of the Hebrew churches, a church filled with Jewish people, but they believe in Jesus Christ, and he writes this. Let us be thankful, and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe. This whole idea of fear and fascination, for our God is a consuming fire. So he says, when we approach God, we should approach God with a healthy reverence and awe, with a fear and fascination. Because our God is a consuming fire. What is he saying? He's saying, God, like fire, powerful, destructive, and yet incredibly helpful. If you handle fire the wrong way, it will destroy everything. But if you approach fire properly, fire can be incredibly helpful. God is holy and perfect. He does not tolerate or allow sin. And so you, if you treat God as—if you approach God casually, it will lead to your own destruction. But if you come to God with fear and fascination, then you discover the power and the help of God, which is God's spirit in us, guiding us into living rightly, into living skillfully. But when we, when we interact with people, Fear sounds different, doesn't it? We don't approach people with fear of heights. Now, here's, here's what fear looks like in relationships we think a lot about what they think of us. When we fear people, we let what they think of us consume our thoughts. So the fear of God looks like this I think more about what God thinks of whatever decision I'm about to make than I do of what others think about that decision. That's the fear of God. The fear of God goes like this. God, what do you think of the clothes I'm gonna wear, the movie I'm gonna watch, the way I'm speaking, the way what I'm doing in my marriage or in my parenting? God, what do you think of how I'm handling my money? rather than what are they going to think of what I'm wearing? Or what are they going to think of what I'm driving or how I'm handling my money or what I'm doing, right? And we, be, we get preoccupied with what others think, but the fear of God comes down to simply saying, what does God think more than what do others think? Some of you are going to be set free as you hear this, because for the first time in your life, you're discovering that I need to be preoccupied with the thoughts of God and the desires of God and what's in the best interest of God and what God has best for me, rather than what anybody else thinks. And if you got freed simply from the fear of man, you would be liberated in the thinking of God and you would be able to live skillfully. But let me give you one more principle because I want to challenge you with this. Proverbs chapter three, verse five and six. For many of you, one of your favorite verses in the book of Proverbs, trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him and he will make your paths straight. So here's the idea. Living skillfully means God is our guide. So that means it's not just good ideas, but a God idea anchored in the fear of the Lord. That God's ideas are always best, and I treat everything else as, a, as, a, as like a dramatically less second place. God's, it's not just that I have a God idea, it's that I actually let that idea guide me. It's that God is our guide. And so here's the deal, right? The book of Proverbs is all about knowledge and wisdom. Knowledge tells you that a desert path is 12 miles long. Wisdom packs enough water to survive. Knowledge will help you plan a great wedding day. Wisdom helps you develop a great marriage. Knowledge can give you the understanding of how to build a house. Wisdom knows how to build a home. And so there's a difference, right? Knowledge is, especially in this context, the knowledge is understanding God's way and doing what's right. Human knowledge puffs up. Godly wisdom builds up. Human knowledge creates pride. Godly wisdom walks in humility. So our challenge is not just to understand what's good, what's God, what's best, but to actually let God guide us in living it out. So wisdom is knowledge of God applied. And Here's our challenge. If I'm going to walk in wisdom, right? So the author, when we started this, he said, get wisdom. The idea of getting wisdom is this. It's what's best for me. I'm actually looking out for my best interest when I get godly wisdom because I'm getting the best possible guidance for the right way to live my life. It doesn't always feel best. Remember, because that's in contrast to what I think feels good. So it's in my best interest. It leads me toward a hope-filled future and it's life and death me to get wisdom from God. How do I get wisdom from God? First, the author says you have to want it. You have to desire knowledge from God and wisdom from God. God, help me to know what's right and then help me to do it. I I pray this over my kids regularly. God, give them, help them to between right and wrong, then give them the courage to do it. What I'm praying for is both knowledge and wisdom. So here's my challenge, I have to want it. And then I have to ask God for it. God give me that wisdom. That's what James, the author of James said then I have to actually pay attention and listen by reading God's word and listening to what God is saying. And once I hear it, then I actually have to do it. Some of us, what's keeping us from what's best for our life is that we know what's best. We have the knowledge, but we haven't applied it. And so what God does is you keep asking for knowledge and God's already given it to you but because you're not obeying it, you're trapped and stuck in the wrong way of living. And so for many of us, it is, I know what to do. I'm just not doing it. You wanna hear from God, you want God to guide your life, then you have to be obedient. And so there's the wisdom, which is knowledge applied, is actually living out God's way. So now, let me challenge you. There's gonna be a lot of noise in your life, a lot of advice, a lot of fortune cookie concepts, and you have to be able to filter through all of that, through all of that, hey, Google junk, to hear clearly what God is saying. And right now, some of you, what God wants to get your attention with is that you've been living your life pursuing what you thought felt good, but it wasn't good for you. And today, for the first time, you're ready to say yes to God, believing in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and inviting God's Spirit, which leads us into wisdom, into your life. For others of you, you believe in Jesus, but you have not been allowing God's Spirit to guide your daily decisions. You, you haven't been living skillfully, and so this is a moment of tremendous surrender, to say, God, I am going to yield to your Spirit, and I'm going to ask you to empower me to live skillfully by helping me to get God ideas, and then allow God to guide me. And so could you right here, would you just close your eyes at each of our campuses, would you close your eyes right now? And I want to speak specifically to those of you you've been you've been guiding your own life. You've been going your own way and it hasn't been going well and you're ready right now to make that decision to say yes to Jesus Christ. This is a profound commitment. This is you, you and I, we're saying, Jesus, you're the one I want to listen to. It's your counsel that I want to guide my life. I want to live skillfully, but that can't happen by me just wanting it. I genuinely have to invite God into my life through faith in Jesus Christ. And if that's you right now, would you raise your hand high? Say yes, Patrick, that's me. At each of our campuses, if that's you, would you raise your hand high and say, I am ready to make that decision to say, Jesus, I want you to be the Lord of my life. I want you to be my counselor and my guide. Anybody else, you're saying yes to Jesus right now with your hand raised. I want you to take a moment, I want to pray over you right now. Jesus, thank you for loving us so much that you came to rescue us from a life of foolishness, where we were troublemakers and headed toward trouble. You died, you rose again to give us new life. Now, Holy Spirit, would you come into our lives, forgive us of sin, and give us that godly wisdom. For each of us now who believe in Jesus by faith, would your Holy Spirit help us and empower us to live skillfully? We ask this now in Jesus' matchless name. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Lifehouse Church. We believe that through Christ, Life change happens here, so we invite you to connect with us further by visiting lifehousechurch.org.